Thank you so much, Brother Walt and all of those. Uh, man, I tell you, uh, we miss Aaron, but it, it's great to have folk who just fill right on in and we just go right on singing. Amen. Good to see the Ramies with us. Amen. They've been on the West Coast. They need some debriefing uh, and, uh, and all here. It's great to be in the house of God. Amen. Thank you all so much for being here. Uh, let me just encourage you. I don't know what the music's going to be tomorrow night, but it'll be good, whatever it is. And the preaching's going to be out of this world. Uh, it, it's, uh, man, it's, Dr. Rock Collins will be here. Don't miss tomorrow night. It's going to be great. If you like good preaching. Uh, if you don't, don't come. We don't need you to come if you don't like good preaching. The rest of you, turn to Exodus chapter 40. Can you believe this is the last uh, week of Exodus? We've been here since Easter. Uh, somebody told me this week, how much longer are we going to be in Exodus? Uh, well, you know, most of us, the truth is we've left Egypt, bless God, but we hadn't got to Canaan land yet. So we're kind of in between, somewhere between Egypt and Canaan land. We'll try to finish Exodus chapter 40 today and then pick up. Then, then the next person said, well, what are we, what are you preaching on next? You know, these preachers have their outlines lined up two years in advance. I have no idea what I'm preaching on next. Have no I, I do know this. Next Sunday morning is a tremendous Lord's Supper uh, service here. Every morning service we have will be a Lord's Supper service. So I do know that, but after that, don't, don't just enjoy it and worry. Don't, don't worry about it, all right? Exodus chapter 40, beginning in verse 34. Would you stand, please, in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word. The Bible says, Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation, because the cloud abode thereon, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And when the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud were not taken up, then they journeyed not till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day, and fire was on it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel, throughout all their journeys. Father, thank you this morning. Thank you that we're going one day to a home where we belong. We look forward to that time, but until then, God, give us a mind to to work here on this earth. Give us a heart, Lord, to see lost people saved, to see people who are hurting and devastated by the world, to see them lifted up and restored and back serving you. I pray for this service this morning that your Holy Spirit would fall fresh. Lord, everything we do is in vain unless your Spirit falls fresh on this place. So we're asking you, we're begging you, we're pleading with you. Lord, have your way in our hearts and lives. And we'll praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Because we are uh, finishing up Exodus, let me just give you a little review. Someone has said kind of sarcastically and funny that Moses was a basket case. And he probably was in more ways than one. Uh, he was placed in a basket, put in the Nile River. And of course, Pharaoh's daughter rescues him there and she raises him in the court. And, and then of course, uh, he sees an Egyptian abusing an Israelite. So he murders the Egyptian and then he 
flees to the backside of the desert. And uh, on that backside of the desert, he thinks he's got everything covered up. Amen. You ever been there? You done something you didn't have any business doing, but you thought you had it all covered up. And God is worse than one of these cats that'll dig it back up. You don't hide anything from God. God knew exactly where Moses was, and he encountered him in a burning bush. The bush was not consumed. And then uh, he says, I want you to go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses has all these excuses. God meets every one of those needs. And then, of course, he goes to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, no, the plagues start. It adds, adds up. There's 10 of them. The worst plague of all is the last one where the firstborn of every child, every family uh, that did not have the blood over the doorpost of their house, that firstborn child was killed. The next morning, Pharaoh said, get out. Take everything with you. Just get out. I don't want you here anymore. And so they leave. Well, they're coming up to the Red Sea. They can't walk on water. They can't go to the left. They can't go to the right. Here comes the Egyptian army behind them. God does another miracle. He opens the Red Sea. But that's not the end of it. Because you see, even though the Israelites are walking through that Red Sea on dry ground, so is the Egyptian army. And they're bearing down on them. Suddenly, God closes the Red Sea up. And the entire Egyptian army is uh, uh, drowned there and killed there. And uh, they get hungry. God sends manna from heaven. They get thirsty. God sends water from a rock. Now Moses in chapter 32 is up on the mountain and he's having a great time with the Lord. The people get out of shape because Moses has been up, he's been gone 40 days. They don't know where he is, what he's doing. Maybe he's never coming back. So they go to Aaron and you know, in counseling, there's always three sides. There's his side, her side, and then there's the truth. And that's kind of what it is here with, with, uh, with Aaron. Aaron says he just threw the gold and the jewelry in the fire and poof, out came a calf. Uh, the real truth was he fashioned it. Uh, I mean, some, some, you, you know that it's what it's like to get blindsided by sin. I mean, you're cruising along and everything's great and all of a sudden, bam, here comes sin. And that happens. That happens to all of us. But for many of us in this place today, we're probably not blindsided near as much as we just sit down and determine we're going to sin. We say, Lord, I know what you want me to do, but I tell you, this is what I'm going to do. I know what the Bible says, but I tell you what, rather than go through all of that and not have any harmony, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut and I'm just, I'm just going to. See, most of us plan the sin that we go in. He repents. 3,000 of them are killed during that time. God's hacked off. He told Moses, you better get back down there. Then people you brought. Moses reminds them, God, they're your people. And God relents. And he gets down there. They're having a party. They're naked. They rose up to play. There's noise in the camp. And it's not worship and majesty. I tell you that. Here's the deal. It's not the heathen that are uh, worshiping the golden calf. It's not the reprobates that pool their jewelry to make it all possible. It's not the, the world that went to Aaron and said, we've got to have uh, uh, something that we can follow, that we can put our eyes on, that we can put our hands on. It's not that. It's the people of God. And the same thing happened. When you come to where you're calling good evil and evil good, folks, you're, you're exactly where America is today. 
And it's not just the world. It's the church. When a pastor will get up in a pulpit and say something that the God says is an abomination, and you get up here and you whitewash it, and you say, well, it's really not that bad. I mean, you were created this way, and you know, God loves everybody. God, hey, it's all going to work out in the end. I'm telling you, that is wrong. And we're at that place in America today. I've got preacher friends that won't even let them put an American flag in the Oh, I guess they think their people so dumb that they're going to worship the flag. We don't worship the flag, but I want to tell you this while I'm here. America is worth standing up for. I'll tell you this. America is worth praying for and encouraging one another and to lift each other up. It's not political. The world wants to make it political. This is not political. It's biblical. If we're not going to stand up for the Word of God, who in the world do you think will? If we're not going to teach our young people that it's sin for homosexuality, who do you think will? It's sure not the television. It's sure not the school textbooks. It's sure not the government. Well, I'll just tell you right now, this morning while we're sitting here in the air conditioning enjoying life, we've got uh, different soldiers over there trying to help people escape from Afghanistan. This week, uh, I sent to Brother Kay, this week we got a letter from the world, uh, uh, Christian World uh, uh, magazine, and uh, the clergy and all in Afghanistan got this letter this week from the Taliban. We know who you are, and we know where you are, and we're coming after you. And you know what they sent back? Come on. Come on. While we're sitting here enjoying the finer things of life, there are folk all over this world dying for the cause of Christ. And it's worth standing up for. In Haiti this morning, uh, not only the turmoil in the country, but the, the earthquakes and all of that stuff. Uh, man, there, you could go country after country after country. And I'm telling you, if somebody don't begin to stand up here in America, they're going to be naming America as one of those countries. Well, I, I got all swung up. Y'all do that to me. Where, where, where do we go? Let me tell you my advice for you this morning. Follow the cloud. Just follow the cloud. He said in verse 38, the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel during all their travels. You say, preacher, what does that mean? Listen, this is not a symbol. This is representing the presence of God. What it means is if the cloud went north, and well, north is this way. If the cloud went north and you went south, you're out of the will of God. What it means is if the cloud started moving, but your family said, well, you know, we don't feel like going to church. We're not going to do that today. The more the cloud left, the farther you are away. So how do you do it? You turn around and you get after the cloud. You follow the cloud. That leads us to an important conclusion here. God's will is a relationship. It's not a location. Some of y'all came in here today to see God. Man, God wants to be in you. You're the ones who ought to have brought him in here. 
We don't go somewhere to see God. We have God in us. He dwells in us. When we say to God, show me what to do, the Lord says, stay close. When we say, oh God, I'm scared. God says, follow me. Oh God, give me some answers. God says, give me your heart. Mm. I love you, Laquita. She had bad report this week. You know what she said? I'm ready whatever God wants. Man, that's following the cloud. That's following the cloud. Numbers 9.23, at the Lord's command, they camped. And at the Lord's command, they set out. And I want to tell you, if we'll do the same thing, God will guide each one of us. Now, let me tell you something. Go ahead and punch your, your wife and wake her up. Tell her he's thinking to say something good. Get a pen out. It's not original, but it's good. The secret of knowing God's will. If I get one question asked more than anything else, Brother Allen, it'd be, how do you know the will of God? I want to know the will of God. How do I know the will of God in my life? The secret of knowing God's will is in the secret of knowing God. If you just come up next to God and just camp there, just follow the cloud, get to know God, you'll know God's will. I guarantee you, the closer you get to God, the more you'll know his will. You won't have to wonder, I wonder what the will of God is. No, you just know God. The issue this morning is, for every one of us, are we willing to follow God? Are we willing to follow God? Well, let me give you four things and I'm through. Number one, I see the commands all over chapter 40. We don't have time to read them this morning. But if you begin down in verse 3, you'll follow them all the way down to verse 15. It says, and thou shalt, and thou shalt, and thou shalt, and thou shalt. Over 18 different commands. When God gives a command, what do you do with it? Well, if you skip over to about verse 18 or somewhere like that, you'll find the words not, and thou shalt. You'll find the words, and he, and he. And he put the table, and he set the bread, and he put the candlestick, and he lighted the lamps, and he put the golden altar, and he burnt sweet incense, and he set up the hanging of the door. You see, when God gives a command, we need to obey that command. Listen to me. Blessings come only after obedience. They will never come before. Lord, I want to be blessed. Well, then obey God. Because if you're not willing to obey God, you're not going to get blessed. Now, some of you have been running off the blessings of other folk who are around you. God blesses some so much that they actually spread out and you think you're being blessed. My favorite biblical mandate of all of that is the woman with the oil. I could prove it by, you can go through the Bible, you will not disprove it. She goes to the prophet. You remember what he said? You go get your sons and you tell them to go get vases. Not a few. Get vases. Empty vases. That was the command. Well, what if she got back and said, you know what? That preacher said, that's about the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I don't think I'm going to do that. I, you know what? Gather around here, boys. Let's just have a prayer meeting. In the name of God, fill these vessels up with oil. You pray until you're blue in the face. When she did what God said do, 
the oil started flowing. But blessings only come after obedience. If you're not willing to obey God, don't count on the blessings. Uh, that's what happened. They, thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt, and he, and he, and he. And then look at verse 34, what we read. That word then. Then. When did then happen? After they had the obedient, uh, the, the commandments of God. And after they did what they were supposed to do, then the cloud came. Then the glory of the Lord fell. Now, there's something that in here in these commandments that, that I kind of looked at, kind of bothered me, but you have to study it out. Moses gets all the credit for this. <laughs> uh, he didn't build this tabernacle. He had people working with him. He had hundreds of people working with him. And yet all through here, Moses did, Moses did, Moses did. It's all given credit to Moses. Why in the world? And Moses, I mean, we're not even seeing where he's humble. I mean, we don't, he don't get up and say, Lord, it's really not me. It's all my church here. <laughs> it's just Moses gets credit. Moses gets credit. Now, listen, listen, here's why. Because Moses is a foreshadow of the Christ to come. He's a foreshadow. The glory revealed to Moses when the Lord passed in front of him and he saw the backside, I think is the same glory that John saw when he said uh, uh, that, that the word was made flesh and dwelt among men. It's the same glory. In other words, <clears throat> what Moses could see before and only Moses could see it. And you could only do the high priest once a year. They could say, you couldn't go into the Holy of Holies. You were restricted. But when Jesus came, the curtain was rent from the top to the bottom. So you can get into the presence of God now. You've got the, you've got, you can come boldly before the presence of God. We ought to call each other and pray for each other and encourage one another. But let me tell you, let me just tell you, don't you call up here and ask somebody to pray for you when you haven't even prayed. You get in your closet and you get with God and you pray. Because you can come before God and pray. I see here throughout the word of God, Jesus is always the best. Amen. That'd make a backslidden Baptist want to just shout. There's nothing better than Jesus. Uh, there's an ark. Thank God for the ark. But I want to tell you, Jesus is better than the ark. There, there's a, a kinsman redeemer. Thank God for that. But Jesus is a true and better kinsman redeemer. The I am, the Lord, he's a true and better sign worker. He's a better Passover lamb. Yeah, there were Passover lambs, but Jesus is the best Passover lamb. Yeah, there's water in the desert, but Jesus is true and better water. He's true and better bread. He's true and better rock. He's true and better son who redeems the nations to himself. He's the fulfillment of the law that reveals the father to humanity deity become uh, flesh. He's the true and better ark of the covenant, the true and better pattern of heaven. Jesus is a true and better offering. He's the true and better high priest. He's the fullness of the glory of God. He's the true and better Moses. He's a true and better Exodus. He by far is better than anyone else listed in the word of God. Jesus, don't leave Jesus out. Whether you're in Genesis or whether you're in Revelation, look for Jesus. Look for the cross. The commands are here. 
Secondly, though, the calendar is here. Look at verse 2. On the first day of the first month shalt thou set up the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation. Then look down in verse 17. It came to pass in the first. Now he's telling them the command on, in verse 2. Now he's telling what happens. It came to pass in the first month in the second year on the first day of the month that the tabernacle was reared up. You say, what, what does that mean? It means God's a God of new beginnings. He's beginning again. Aren't you thankful he's not a God of second chances? Some of y'all burnt your second chance a long time ago. He's not a God of second chances. He's a God of new beginnings. And the calendar reminds us that as new year comes, we start all over again. We start afresh again. He's a God of new beginning. He's a God of restoration. The Bible says in the valley, he restoreth my soul. He's a God of revival. Wilt thou not revive us again, saith the Lord, uh, that thy joy may be full. He's a God of, of a renewal. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. He's a God of reformation. Brother Mark was here uh, Sunday night, uh, Monday night, and we were reminiscing and talking a little bit and just cutting up. And he, he told me this morning, he, 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 uh, he, well, he called yesterday and said, uh, now this is, this is live stream. I want his people to hear this. Uh, he called yesterday and said, look, that love offering was way too much. You just, you should not have done that. So people gave the love offering. We just gave you what people gave. He called me this morning and said, you know what? I listened to that sermon again and it was good. <laughs> Maybe that offering wasn't enough. That's the kind of guy, that's the kind of guy. But we were reminiscing. We were in Belize several years ago and, and there was a, we were at this news uh, uh, TV station and uh, Belize, I mean, is one of these countries like Haiti or whatever. You, it can explode any minute. There are always coups looking to take over. And uh, the TV station was a little old one-room metal shack sitting out in the middle of nowhere with an antenna on it. But it was broadcasting all over Belize. And this guy's sitting in the middle of the couch. I'm on one side, Brother Mark's on the other. And he says, these men have come from America to uh, cause us to have a revolution. And boy, I mean, we both set up. I said, whoa, revolution's not the right word. Reformation is the right word. Listen, God didn't come to create a revolution in your life. He came to, re to create a reformation in your life. He came to transform you from what you were in darkness into the marvelous light. There's a beautiful example of a testimony here. There are really people always saying, hey, I want to give my testimony. How can I give my testimony? How can I do it? Listen, there are three things is all you need. Throw all these books away. Throw all these programs away. There are only three things you need to do. You need to figure out what your life was before Christ. That's it. Two or three sentences. Don't talk about Aunt Dot and Uncle Harvey and all of that and the wood pew. And all. Just what was your life like before Christ? And then number two, how you came to meet Christ. What happened to you? Did the Holy Spirit call you? Because if he didn't, you didn't. You can't be saved unless the Holy Spirit calls you. So, so what was my life before Christ? How did I meet Christ? And you know the third thing that's most important today? What's my life been like since I met Christ? I mean, that's what the world needs. I'm going to tell you, the world doesn't need some other hot-headed, hollering preacher. 
What the world needs is Christians who will say, look, this is what happened to me when I got saved, and this is what my life has been like since then. It's worth living. See, most people today, they don't want to come to church. And my soul, if I have to look that bad, and I, I wouldn't even go. Mm. We, we firm it up in three ways. Theologians do, and I'll just copy them. One is being born again. You've got to be born again. Without Jesus, you'll never see heaven. You'll never see it. You've got to be born again. Second one is sanctification. Some of y'all I'm looking at are good people. God can use some four-alt sandpaper on you and just touch around the edges and kind of help you. Some of you I'm looking at, <laughs> you need a rasp. <laughs> and God will use that rasp. It's called sanctification. We're born again, and then we immediately enter into sanctification. He begins to mold us and to make us in his own image. And then one of these days, that eastern sky is going to split. And we're going to enter a phase called glorification. Sanctification's over with. Born again's over with. We're going to live with him for all of eternity. Glorification. 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all, with an open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Let me hurry on here and just talk about for a moment the consecration that's found here of the tabernacle. He begins in verse 12 by saying, Thou shalt bring Aaron and his sons under the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and wash them with water. Thou shalt put upon Aaron the holy garments, anoint him and sanctify him, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. This lasted seven days. He was washed in the robe on and four sacrifices every day uh, with him and his sons. Uh, verse 14, bring his sons. Do the same thing. <clears throat> what does that mean for me? It means there ought to be a time when we examine ourselves. God cannot use dirty vessels. There ought to be a time when we sit down with God and say, Lord, what is it that's keeping me from having real fellowship with you? What do you want me to do? What do I need to get rid of in my life? Sometimes it's just fine-tuning. Sometimes it may be getting rid of friends you think you've got. But whatever's keeping you from totally being in united fellowship with God, let me tell you, it'd be worth it if you'll get rid of it. And you'll draw close. The consecration of the tabernacle. Let me close with this. You can't leave Exodus without thinking about the cloud. The cloud. Mm -mm. The Spirit of God hovered over. The glory of God is now once again falling again. The Bible says in verse 34, the cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Can you imagine what would happen if you came to church Tomorrow night, and people are standing out there and say, well, why are y'all standing out here in the heat? Go on in. We can't get in. We open the door, but we can't walk in. The place is so full of God, we can't even get in there. Now, listen, that is not going to happen because that's not the way God operates in the New Testament. He would fill the tabernacle in the Old Testament, but our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. He's wanting to fill us. You ever seen somebody that's just so full of Jesus? 
I'll tell you what most of us do. We try to stay away from them. They're weird. <laughs> They're a little peculiar. Man, I mean, every time you turn around, Jesus, 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 you know, huh? When you get so full of God, <laughs> wow. I remember reading the story of a, them doing a Handel's uh, Messiah was to take place in an old church in Switzerland. And uh, it was the night of the last rehearsal. Everything had been just perfect. It, it, it just faultless. It was triumphantly sang. But there was something lacking. The soprano solo sang the song, I know that my Redeemer liveth. She hit every note. It was perfect. It was perfect pitch. Her breathing was perfect. The enunciation was faultlessly her voice was so trained, it was just beyond criticism. And, and when the last note was said, everyone was waiting on the director to give an applause of how good she had done. And he tapped with his baton on the music stand. Mm. And he looked at the young lady and he said, Daughter, you do not really know that your Redeemer liveth, do you? She said, yes, I do. No. Are you sure that you believe your Redeemer liveth? She said, I know he liveth. And then the old man just cried out with a loud voice. Then sing like it. Sing like it. Listen, if, if, if our Redeemer liveth, then let's live like it. Let's, let's don't bury him. They tap the baton, get ready to do it again. She does it the second time. Same tremendous voice. But she loses herself. She forgets who she is and where she is. Ooh, you come into the presence of God and do that. And she began to sing every note on pitch, every breath right where it was supposed to be. And when she got through, Applause broke out everywhere. Tears flowing freely. And the old man looked over at her and said, You do know, daughter, for you have told me so. Let me ask you something. How many of your friends are wondering if you know your Redeemer lives? Because if you know that, I want to tell you, everything's going to work out in the end. Everything's going to be all right. Let us not fail to reveal Christ because he, the devil, is tricky. He's a snake. He's a liar. H.G. Wells said this, and, and people are saying this today in America. If there was no fall in the Garden of Eden, then you don't need to be born again. If there was no fall in the Garden of Eden, you didn't sin. If there was no fall in the Garden of Eden, there's no God that you'll have to face. There's no accountability. Brother Clark Sexton wrote us an email this morning he, from Dwight L. Moody. I'm only one man, but I am one. I can't do everything, but I can do something. And what I can do, by the grace of God, I will do. Can I tell you something, young people? You're not an accident. You didn't come from some slime. You didn't come because there was an explosion. 
millions of years ago. You came because you were created in the image of God. You're special. And God has something wonderful, a plan for you that only you can do. Can you imagine? Just think with me a moment. <laughs> when he created the heavens and the earth, I mean, he took nothing. He spoke. Spoke the sun. There it is. Spoke the moon. Spoke the stars. Spoke the, the oceans. Spoke. He just spoke. That's how big our God is. He just spoke. In all of creation, he just spoke. But now, we have a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Now listen, don't miss this. He didn't speak for this creation. He had to die on a cross. He took my sin and your sin. He endured agony and pain, the whipping crown of thorns, the torture, the spear in his side. His blood flowed freely down that cross. Why? Because he loves you and me. And because he died on the cross, old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. We are a new creation, and we can have eternal life with Jesus Christ. My soul, I was thinking... I mean, let's just be real. Not spiritual, just real. What kind of obligation would we have to worship a God who just spoke everything? I mean, you know, that's, I mean, that's great. We definitely, he's God. He's all powerful. He spoke it. He spoke it. I, that's all great. But how about what obligation do we have when that God who spoke everything in creation came down and became man and became flesh in a manger, in a barn, so that we could have eternal life. And then we want to sit around and gripe and bellyache and mully grub. Man, I want to tell you, we need to follow the cloud. The Bible says in Acts chapter 16, verse 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I don't care who you are here this morning. I don't care how many great preachers are in your family. I don't care what your mama did or your daddy did. I'm telling you this morning, there's coming a day when the only thing that will matter is have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's it. Nothing else will matter. It won't matter. You say, preacher, I, I, you know, I don't know. Well, I'm going to tell you what, if I didn't know, I'd know. I'd make today the day of salvation. Because you're never going to get the blessings of God until, first of all, you come to be one of his children. And then maybe you're here this morning, you need a church hall. This is a great, great church. God has used this church. I've warned this church. They've heard me for 18 years tell you over and over and over and over and over and over. That the hand of God is on this place. You can walk in the door and you know God's here. But the same God who puts the hand of God on the place is the same God who can take the hand of God off the place. I can carry you to hundreds of churches that 30 years ago the hand of God was on them. 
We've got to be obedient to Christ. We've got to do what he says do. We've got to follow the cloud. It doesn't matter what it costs us physically. It doesn't matter what it costs us financially. We've got to follow the cloud. Father, you know every one of us in this building today. I ask you, Lord Jesus, come visit us in a special way. Lord, that we would see you high and lifted up. Your train would fill this temple, this place today. We'd be willing to say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll go. Wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to say, doesn't make any difference. I'm willing to do it for the cause of Christ. God, I pray today that that one that's sitting here arguing with himself, whether or not he's been saved or not, I pray today would be his day of salvation. I pray today for those that need to make other decisions, uh, joining a church or moving their letter. Or maybe, God, there are many in this place that just need to come and kneel at this altar. Say, oh God, I, I know the cloud went one way and I didn't go. And I've separated myself, but Lord, today I want to come back to the cloud. Lord, I want to, I want to follow you. Lord, would you have your way in every person's heart in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me?